at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 12. Established in the faith. Established in the faith. That's what we're going to discuss tonight. Chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. All right, let's begin to read right there, all right? For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now I want you to draw your attention to verse 6. The Bible says, And ye have therefore, uh, as ye have therefore uh, received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Established in the faith. Now, without doubt, we must be certain about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are clear and certainly understand that the Lord Jesus Christ never intended that we war with or entertain feelings of doubt concerning our relationship with Him or our final destination. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. God doesn't intend that we doubt or that we are wondering or that we're concerned or that we fear not making heaven. We understand that that is something that is to be established. That's something that should be certain in our life. But the Bible here is talking about something beyond our salvation. The Bible is referring to something that goes past our experience of receiving and accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. And it enters into the, the, the area of our Christian life. Our relationship and life with Christ. Again, in this particular passage, the apostle admonishes the Colossians to be established in the faith. In every dispensation, in every single generation, the people of God had been in need of being established in the faith. It wasn't just in the day of Colossians or in the times of the Thessalonians or uh, possibly the, the uh, Corinthians. No, this is a thing that we need today. It's something that is important and paramount in our life. To be established in the faith. And if we're going to be established in the faith, then we must make sure that there are a few things that we have in our lives. Tonight, I want to know just three things 
that each child of God, every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ needs in order to be established in the faith. And by the way, I, I'm, not, I'm not misquoting uh, English here. Established is the word God uses. It's a better word than established then. For this is exactly what God wants. And we are to be established in the faith. So let's make sure that we're established in the faith tonight. And in, to do, and in order to do that, I'm going to give you three thoughts, okay? Three things that each of us needs, all right? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather tonight. Thank you for these that have made their way here to Community Baptist Temple. Now, Lord, we know that, Father, if we leave here without meeting with you, we'll have wasted our time, and we will have wasted yours. And again, Lord, we understand that, Father, it's not just simply a mere man. It's a ma- the Master, you, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we need to hear from. So, Lord, may you just fill me with your spirit now. Lord, may I be your mouthpiece. Lord, I have nothing to offer your people except you give it to me. Again, Lord, fill me with your Holy Ghost. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint every listening ear that they would hear with spiritual ears. God of heaven, may this be a profitable time. And Father, we will praise you for it. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So what do we need to be established in the faith? Well, we need a number of things, but let me just give you three tonight. Just simply three. And again, they're certainly not conclusive or are they complete, but these three are desperately needed. Number one, a strong foundation. If we're going to be established in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to have a very strong foundation, a strong foundation. On December 2001, the Leaning Tower of Pisa was finally reopened to the public. It had been closed for almost a dozen years. And of course, during that time, engineers were completing what basically was a $25 million renovation project, a little bit higher than the one we're doing. And so they were doing a renovation project, and it was was designed to stabilize the Tower of Pisa. If you've ever seen pictures of the Tower of Pisa, you would note that it's leaning all the time. That's why they call it the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And so they removed 110 tons of dirt, in order to, uh, in order to um, uh, reduce the distance of lean. So they, they removed dirt to try to bring it back into alignment. Of course, at the very top of the uh, tower, the top of the tower is 17 feet out of center. And, and so it's a long ways out. And, and they were concerned that the thing was going to fall over. There had been a tower earlier that had fallen over, and it wasn't even leaning. It was just structural problems. And so they thought if that tower could fall, being structural issues, just that the the concrete and some of the mortar and things that had started to decay, what in the world can we expect with Pisa? So they began to work on this thing. It's uh, uh, So basically it had been vertical for hundreds and hundreds of years. And now a 185 feet tower standing up in the air is now leaning. And so they're going to go ahead and try to bring it back into alignment. Now, what caused that? I mean, why was it out of alignment? Was it because um, a bad design? Could it have been maybe poor workmanship? Was it a poor grade of marble possibly? No, it was neither. It was none of those things. The reason it was leaning is because its foundation was weak. What they eventually found was that there was a a stream or water table. The table would actually rise certain times of the years and would come within 12 inches of the ground. But as a result of that, it was continually making the foundation weak And the thing would begin to lean, sometimes as much as 0.5 inches per year at this point. 
And so basically a half an inch a year. Can you imagine? It wouldn't be long. That thing's going to be on its side. And so the problem with it was the foundation was weak. And because the foundation was weak, they were worried about it falling over, crumbling, and ultimately going away forever. That's a problem that you and I have to face in our Christian life. We need to make sure that our foundation is strong. First of all, our foundation must withstand the flood. It must withstand the flood. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. A very familiar passage if you've been a Christian any length of time and one that you need to be familiar with. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. First of all, I want you to understand that foundations are to be examined. Foundations are to be examined. In the passage, you're going to note that there are two separate foundations, two distinct foundations. And you say, well, that's obvious, that's simple. Well, you need to understand that there are only two foundations in this entire world. There's only two. There is sinking sand and there is stone. Rock. It's the only two foundations for you as a believer today in this Christian, in this life in which we live. For every human being, there's only two foundations upon which they will build. Sinking sand or stone. It's that simple. It's that simple. And sometimes we like to, you know, uh, make it a little more complicated. We try to pretend that there's this or that. I'm going to build it upon a good profession. I'm going to build it upon maybe a, a good marriage. I'm going to build my life upon, you know, a strong family and, and good values and all that. Those are things called sinking sand, friend. That's sinking sand. So I said, no, but those are all good things that belong in every life. Absolutely. But if you're building on those things, sinking sand. Sinking sand. You know, there's all these great things, or should I say good things, that people build their lives upon. I mean, we spend thousands and thousands of dollars a year to get a good education to build our lives upon a profession so that we can feel secure and safe, so that we can say we're going forward and we know we'll be fine. The rest of the world may be going to hell, but that's okay. I'll be good. And that's exactly the attitude that most Christians possess in America today. All that matters is me. I've got my education. I've got a good job. I've got a good family. Everything's fine. I'm going to tell you, that's sinking sand if that's what you're building on. Right. And you know what? If you place your trust even as a believer in those things, and somehow those are what make you happy, those are what bring you joy, those are what fulfill you as a person and make you whole, my friend, you are building on sinking sand. A 21-year-old young man's dead today that was alive yesterday. Dead. He was building on sand. 
And if his family was depending on him to bring them joy, they are brokenhearted today. They have no joy in their heart today. If you are looking to your children to fulfill your life and to make you complete and whole, then you are building on sand. Because they may not be here tomorrow. Sand or stone, the only two. You better examine which foundation you're building on. You better. Because if you don't, you may find that you're not only leaning, but you have fallen. We see our foundation must withstand the flood. Why the foundations are to be examined and floods are to be expected. You can just bet on some trouble in your life. Just count on it. It's going to happen. It's a biblical reality. Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. We could go through verse after verse proving that there are troubles that are going to await us. It is amazing to me, simply bewildering to me, bewildering, how Christians think hard times should not come their way. And when they do, they just want to give up and quit. Throw their hands in the air, cry and woe and worry and sorrow and fret continually. When in reality, God has already guaranteed them trouble. He's already promised them problems. And yet the first time, any sign of a storm in our life, we say, woe is me. What in the world's going on? What's going on is life. That's what's going on, life. If you lived in another country right now, you'd be happy that you just had enough food to keep you alive. But we are so, so... I don't know what you want to call it. Anybody got a word for it? What are we? Spoiled? Decadent? What else? Self-centered? Anybody else? Me-oriented? Yeah, me-focused? Yeah, me-world? Me, me yeah. Envious of things? Absolutely. I mean, this is our flesh. This is what we are. You know, we like to deny that. We like to say things like, nah, not me. But let's be honest. We're all in the same boat. We're all flesh. And go ahead and let God take our home. Let it burn down today. Go home tonight and find your house burned to the ground with every single thing you owned in it gone. Let's see how we respond then. Let's see what we're building on. Let him take your job away today. Let's see what you're building on. God forbid he takes away our health. Let's see what we're building on. We need to examine that foundation. But we need to expect some floods. Not only our foundation must withstand the flood, but our foundation must include the Father. Must include the Father. And that means God and the Lord Jesus Christ need to be the foundation of our life. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now again, we are quick to say, I know that verse and that's what I do. And how's come we're so unstable when problems come in our life? How's come we're so miserable all the time? How's come we're so discontented, upset, out of control, so emotional about every situation and circumstance? 
How can we get our feelings hurt so quickly if we're building on Christ? If, if other things don't matter to us like He does, how come everything else seems to matter so much? I'm just wondering. Let God begin to remove some of the layers of our life. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, it seems we're ready to shake our fist at God instead of bow our knee to Him and thank Him. We must have a strong foundation. If we're going to be established in the faith, we need a strong foundation. And that foundation is none other than Jesus Christ, none other than God Himself. Psalm chapter 18, verse 31 and 32 says, For who is God, save the Lord, and who is a rock, save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. Let's see the psalmist. I'm just wondering for a moment. Was his way perfect? I mean, did everything go his way? How could he say that? Because he, like Joseph, understood that whatever came into his life, God had already approved. God had already allowed pass across his desk and said, Stamp, approved by me in his life. And he said, man, my way is perfect. Man, Lord, you know, it's God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. Oh, I know Saul's threatening my life. I know people are hunting me down. I realize that, that I could be gone tomorrow, but that's all right. It's a perfect life because I have Christ. Amazing, isn't it? A strong foundation. But number two... We're established in the faith. Not only do we need a strong foundation, but we need a sure footing. A sure footing. In Psalms chapter 18, 33, the Bible says, He maketh my feet like hinds feet, and setteth me upon my high places. He maketh my feet like hinds feet. That's stable, strong, steady. That particular hinds feet has to do with an animal standing upon some rocky uh mountain terrain, and, and they just have an adept ability, an innate ability to have firm, solid standing on rocky ground. They're, they're a particular creation of God that is able to maneuver well in that kind of terrain. And, and the psalmist says, man, that's me. My feet are solid. They are sure. When I was young, I... Uh, well, I'm not that old, but when I was young, I had some of the most surreal dreams. They were weird. Now, I know everybody probably has weird dreams, but I still remember uh, being, you know, uh, down in my basement as a kid, and I, I remember this thing coming out of somewhere, and it had a bunch of arms, and it would grab me and pull me against the wall and chain me up, and I don't know if it tickled me or what it did. I don't know, but all I know is I was scared to death. I thought this thing was going to kill me and all that stuff. And I'd go, I'd go down in, in my mind. I thought I was going down searching for it. Next thing you know, it knocked, you know, a bat out of my hand, grabbed me and tied me and pulled me up there and strapped me against. I think it was, it was just one of those things, you know, it had to do with, you know, my abusive upbringing. But anyway. <clears throat> okay, so maybe it wasn't abusive. But nonetheless, I, I, I know, you, see, you know, here I was. Okay, and then. And so I had these weird dreams. And then I, I remember this one dream I had all the time, a reoccurring dream constantly. You know, I'm running from someone. I'm running from something. And you probably had it, you know. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden your feet don't have any footing. And, and you're trying to run up a grade or up a hill or something. And you're just going. 
and you can't get no footing. You can't get anywhere. And you just keep feet going, feet going, feet going. You ever feel like that? No sure footing at all. You couldn't get any footing. And that's how I felt in those dreams. And it was so frustrating. It was so scary. And it was so uh, just annoying. I couldn't stand it. And I'd wake up, man, and I'd be sweating and everything, you know. (sighs) A sure footing. It's absolutely necessary if we're going to be, as as the Bible says, established in the faith. It's absolutely essential, necessary. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 73. We're going to read through a number of verses here. won't take us long because they're very short. Psalm chapter 73. I want you to understand that our footing is tested. It's tested. All the time it's tested. Notice the psalmist here in chapter 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. That's what he says when he's at church. Now again, I know that we're taking it out of context here. But that's what he says when he's around his other friends. Truly God, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He's good. He's good. Let's get honest now, buddy. Let's get real, where you really feel. But as for me, My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He said all the right things in verse 1, but that wasn't what his heart said. I got to believe tonight there's a number of people in this room that say all the right things, but that's not their heart. Because if somebody called a psalmist that used to write one of the books of the Bible could feel that way, I'll guarantee you there are people in our midst tonight that feel that way. Guaranteed. Oh, no, not here. Not at Community Baptist. Yeah, we're the only church in the world that has perfect people. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence cover them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore as people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou catch them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. 
our footing is tested. We see the psalmist, and I want to note a number of things about him. First of all, the psalmist struggled. He struggled. In verse 2, we see very clearly, he says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My feet, my steps had well nigh slipped. He struggled. You ever struggled? You ever struggle with your Christian life? You ever struggle with your spirituality? You ever struggle? Well, this man's struggling. The psalmist is struggling. Notice the psalmist saw. In verse 3, he says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's out and about and he's, he's looking, he's seeing, he saw things. That wasn't really the real problem, though. I want you to notice the next step. Not only did the psalmist see there, or he saw, but the psalmist stared. You say, stared? Yeah, notice what it says here in verse 4. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. And he's going to go through now for the next few verses. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither they plague like other men. Their pride, he talks about. Violence covered them. Their eyes stand out in fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walketh through the earth. Look at this. He's staring at them. He's focusing on them. He's giving them a lot of attention here. I mean, he's really nailing down what's going on in their lives. He's really taking note, and he's really caring about what's going on. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. It's one thing to see something. It's another thing to stare at it. You better be real careful when you start looking at the world and staring. When you start gazing upon the world. When you start allowing yourself to be consumed with the world. You better be careful. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And instead, the psalmist wasn't thinking on those things. The psalmist was focused on the world. The psalmist was staring at the prosperity of the wicked. And he kept wondering, what's wrong with me in my life? How's come I give my best to God and he gives me nothing in return? Look at them living like the devil and God seems to be blessing them or the world or their God is blessing them. He's staring now. He's not just getting a glimpse. He didn't just see them. Now he's staring at them. He understands and knows every nuance now. There's a problem with that. You better be careful what you think about and what you stare at. That's the problem sometimes, isn't it? We got a wife at home, but we're not content, so we stare at something else. We got a husband at home, but he doesn't quite meet the needs, so we stare at something else. I mean, we got a job, but then look at that guy's job. He's got a lot more money than I've got, and we stare, and we begin to feel like we've been cheated. Isn't that exactly what Satan did to Eve in the garden? Right. I mean, look at all these trees, but that one, look at that. He's withholding the best from you, Eve. And we get to feeling like that, and the psalmist began to feel like that. The psalmist summarizes now in verse 12. He summarizes. He says, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. I just described this ungodly group, he says. From verse 4 to 11, I have nailed them. And that they're the ones that are prospering. They're the ones that are increased of goods. 
So that's what he come away with. Let me ask you, what do you come away with? I mean, when you look at the world, do you somehow envy them? Like the psalmist? Do you look at those basketball players making millions and somehow think that they're so much better off than you are, even though they're lost and going to hell? Well, look at that millionaire. He's got everything. Does he? Oh, if you stare at him long enough, you'll think he does. Because all you see is this. You don't see this or this. And you don't see what the psalmist will eventually see here soon. So the psalmist, we noted already, struggled. He saw, he stared, he summarizes. But notice now he's going to sing the blues. Verse 13 through 15. That's why it's wrong to sing the blues. Or rock and roll. Or country. Because that's what the psalmist did when he got his eyes on the world. Sang the blues. Notice verse 13. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency for all the days long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. How do you cleanse your heart in vain? I decided to live a pure life. I was a young man and I decided to be pure until I was married and then I'm turned, I'm still 30 and I'm still pure and I don't have a wife yet. I'm sick of it. I thought God was supposed to love me. Oh, I see. You've, as the psalmist says, you've cleansed your heart in vain. What a waste of time living a pure, holy life. If I say, I will speak thus. Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. The psalmist sings the blues. Now he sorrows. He's so upset. He's kind of got this bad idea of the world. He's got this mixed up idea. He begins to sing the blues. Woe is me. Woe is me. And now he's sorrowing. He's sorrowing. Notice what he's doing here. In verse 16, he says, When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. What are you thinking about? Psalmist, what are you focused on? That which is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, that which has virtue and that which has praise. Is that what you're thinking about, sir? Well, not exactly, not now. I didn't think so. Do you know what his problem was? He was rebellious. He was a sinner. And he was doing what sinners do. Bellyache. Selfishness. It's all about me. It's about mine. I'm glad Jesus didn't do that when he was faced with the cross. I'm glad Jesus didn't do that when he stood there before the council. Could have just went, and they could all just perished. But instead he accepted it and trusted himself to him that judgeth righteously, according to 1 Peter 2. Sorrows. He sorrows. Notice now he searches in verse 17. He searches. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. 
He's searching now. He, he took his eyes off of what he was looking at, and he ended up somewhere else finally. You know why you need God's house? It gives you perspective. Amen. Gives you perspective. See, people don't think they need God's house because they're too busy or because, well, they don't get what they think they should get, and that church doesn't really feed them like they should and take care of them like they should. But I'm going to tell you something. You need God's house because it gives you perspective. You need me to tell you the things I'm telling you tonight because you need to be reminded again that the world's not worth living for, but that Jesus Christ is. It says, well, who's given you the reminder? Well, you let God worry about that. I'm sure he's quite capable of reminding me, too. You had to look at your faces tonight. You'd know he's been reminding me all night. <laughs> Some of you are mad about what I just said there because you took it personal. And that proves that you need to get right with God. But anyway, the, the psalmist searches. Notice finally this. The psalmist switches. I like this because we're all capable of switching. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down in destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? Boy, what a difference from verse 11, uh, excuse me, verses um, 4 through 11 to now. Notice his summary before. In his summary, we see over here in verse 12, he says, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Notice the switch. What, what changed that? What he was looking at. Where he was at, where he was, what he was focusing on. That changed everything for him, and that'll change everything for us. See, slippery feet. We need to be very careful that we have not only a strong foundation, but sure footing. God help us to be careful that we are not, because we are so susceptible to falling. Matter of fact, the psalmist says, As for me, my, as for me, he says. By the way, every one of us could say the same thing. As for me. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, thinketh that he standeth, take heed lest he fall. So our footing is tested, but our footing is tethered as well, meaning fixed or secured. See, the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ, and our relationship with him is the foundation. But our footing is made sure in two major places. Here's where your footing is made sure. One, the sanctuary. That's where he found it. In 1 Timothy 3.15, the Bible says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You want some sure footing? Stay in God's house. Stay here. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every single other service. You have a local church? Be here. Be in your place. Have your feet Secured, stabilized, steady, strong. The sanctuary. Number two, the scriptures. Notice he says in Psalm 119, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. How come you hate every false way? Because you know who God is because you've been in His Word and you've been in His house and you understand His holiness and His righteousness and you say, I can't stand wrong because I have this standard before me that's so right and perfect. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path in verse 105. So the Scriptures, the sanctuary and the Scriptures, they're so important. Listen, you can trace every single fall 
to missing those two things in their life. They start to slip in those areas. They fail to comply with God's demands. They're not in the Word anymore. They're not in God's house like they ought to be. Oh, they may still come to God's house, but they're not involved and in God's house like they ought to be. They're not plugged in like they were, but they start to slip away. Well, they're not. Well, every once in a while we miss Wednesday. Well, every once in a while we visit this church. Every once in a while we go here, we do this. Let me tell you something. You better be careful with that stuff. You better be in your place. Don't you stay at home watching television one night because it's just more comfortable. Don't do it. You're slipping. You're going to allow your feet to slip. There's more at stake than just simply the church offering. That's all he cares about. Whatever. That's a joke. If I cared about that, I'd be preaching on it every week. You know what I got? Somebody handed me... I'm going to just tell you this because I couldn't believe it. Somebody handed me a bulletin from another church the other day. They wanted me to see something on it. I just kept this thumb through it. They had 80 people, 78 people in their Sunday morning service. They had 27 Sunday night. You know what their offering was? $3,300. Ours was 50 some hundred dollars Sunday. We had over 560 in services. I just want you to know. So if I really was upset and that's all I cared about, trust me, we'd be preaching on money a lot around here. But that's not what I'm all bent about. I get bent about this one thing. That our hearts aren't in tune with Him. We better be in tune with the Lord. See, you're going to stand before God and so will I. And you know what? He wants us to be established in the faith because ultimately we're going to stand before God. You answer for what you don't do and what you do do. I don't answer for you. You don't answer for me. But we will answer for ourselves. We can get over on mom and dad. We can get over on husband and wife. We can even get over on God in this life from our own perspective. But we won't when we're standing before Him one day. Amen. I want you to see this. Last but not least, simple faith. Simple faith. Luke chapter 17. Notice what it says. We need simple faith. The apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamore tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Luke 17, 5 and 6. Again, we've already talked about the fact that we need a strong foundation. We need a sure footing. But notice a simple faith. If we're going to be established in the faith, we need simple faith. Again, in the passage that we just read, 17, 5, and 6, I want you to note the request. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, we're going to note the response, verse 6. The Lord says, If ye had faith as the grain of a mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamore tree, Be thou Excuse me. Say, so, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. That was his response. So we saw the request, Lord, increase our faith. We saw the response. Hey, listen, you just had faith as a grain of mustard seed. You can say the sycamore tree, be plucked up by the root, be thou planted by the sea, and it should obey you. Isn't that interesting? What we learn is that instead of worrying about having great faith, 
we should be more concerned with grain faith. You say, grain faith? Yeah. I want you to notice earlier in the passage, look at verses 3 and 4 now. Look at what the context or what's, being going, what's going on here in the passage. Take heed to yourselves, Jesus says, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, they didn't have too much of a problem with the fact that when somebody comes to them and has trespassed against them, sinned against them from their perspective, mind you, be real careful with that one too. Just because you feel slighted doesn't mean you have been. You need to be careful with that. Well, you hurt my feelings. You did something wrong. Really? Really? Be careful with that one. You better go to God big time before you accuse somebody of hurting you. It might just be that you aren't spiritually right with God. And you needed somebody to kick you in the tail to get you moving in the right direction. And they just did you a favor. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I've never had anybody do that to me, right? I have. Absolutely. Now, hold on. Notice here, they had no problem with that. I don't think that was a problem at all. But that next portion, when he said to them, verse 4, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. You say, Man, somebody that keeps doing the same thing over and over again, keeps hurting you, keeps doing the same thing over and over again, ain't really repenting. You ain't going to get my forgiveness. Right? That's, I'm sure that's how they thought. They're humans. Hold on now. I want you to see this for a reason. Jesus goes on to say, here's what he's saying then. You're not only to forgive them once if they trespass against you, but you're to forgive them over and over and over as they trespass against you. Just keep forgiving them. Keep forgiving them. Somebody hurts you. Somebody transgresses against you. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. So how'd they respond to this instruction? They say, Amen. You got it, Lord. We're on it. No. They turn around and request something from Him. Notice our verse again. The apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. See, at the onset, it may seem like a very reasonable request, but what what were they really asking for? What were they really saying? See, understanding that God never expects anything from us that He doesn't enable us to do, And based upon the response of the Lord in the next verse, when he talks about the grain of mustard seed, if you just had a grain of mustard seed of faith, you could cast a mountain into the sea. It seems to me that they're trying to say, Lord, we hear you and we really want to obey you. But we aren't able to forgive like that. We're not able to do that. We just don't have it in us. They were right about that. Lord, if we're to comply with your demand, then you need to increase our faith because we don't have the faith to do that. I wonder if they were sincerely concerned with complying with Christ's demand or if they were simply excusing their perceived inability to forgive to that degree. I'm wondering. See, I personally think that they were really trying to use it as an excuse. I don't think they were sincere about, Lord, increase our faith. 
No, I think they were saying, Lord, we can't do that. Wait a second. God said you can. You can do all things through Christ. You know what we do when God says to forgive for us? We say, you just don't understand what, God, what they did to me. Until God increases my faith, till God takes away this pain in my heart, till God deals with this and makes it erased from my memory, I'll never forgive. I can't forgive. I can't do that. I'm human. That's what the apostles, I believe, were saying. And they said, Lord, increase our faith, because there's no way in the world we can forgive like that. That's an impossibility. And what did he say to them? If you had any faith at all, any at all, you'd be able to obey my word. Any at all. See, the obedient Christian life is not about the amount of faith you possess, but the faith you exercise. That's what it's about. You don't need great faith. You simply need grain faith. You don't... See, that kind of faith just goes a long ways. A little bit goes a long ways, he says. But you have to apply it. I use soap my whole life. Jump in the shower, use soap. I've taken showers around the world. I've been in different countries. I've taken showers everywhere. I've taken them in Paris. I've taken them in Germany. I've taken them in Netherlands. I've taken them all over the world. I'm a world traveler. I've taken them in different states around the United States. I've taken them in different counties in, the, in, in, in Ohio. I do that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a practicing showerer. And I've used soap. But you know what? The other day, I bought this unbelievable product. It was called shower gel. This stuff is amazing. I, you, I popped the little top and just a little teeny squirt, just a few drops in my hands. Man, it's just before long, it's all lathered up all over. A little teeny few drops. How's that happen? A little goes a long ways. You want to know something? Faith goes a long ways. Just a little goes a long ways. And God's saying, listen, you don't need to increase your faith, gentlemen. You just need to exercise the little faith you've got. You can forgive like that, but you better exercise what you've got. If you wanted to, with that little faith that you have, if you really exercise it, gentlemen, you could cast a mountain into the sea. You just don't want to. You know what? Sometimes that's us, isn't it? But we've got to just exercise simple faith if we want to be established in the faith. As we close, you're often concerned, and so am I, with our faith. Is it strong enough? Is it great enough? Jesus just wants us to know that our faith goes a long ways. <laughs> and if we'll simply exercise the little faith that we do have and apply the truth by faith that we do know, He will do great things with us. So you don't have to be a spiritual giant tonight to do great things for God. You must simply apply this simple truth in simple faith, and sure as you are sitting here tonight, God will do something great in your life. We must be established in the faith, a strong faith, a sure footing, and a simple faith. Absolutely necessary in our lives. Let's be honest with God and begin to evaluate our foundations 
and allow God to reveal to us our flesh, ourselves, and enable us to be able to be established in the faith, even as the psalmist was. Father, we come to you.